Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us now from the University of Alberta, Dr. Norma Dunning, Inuk writer, researcher, and scholar. Norma, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for uh, joining us here. I, I really appreciate it. Um, so yesterday, our uh, Canadian Museum of Human Rights here in Manitoba, an external review basically said, yes, what employees and former employees have been saying is true. Racism, uh, systemic racism, sexism, homophobia. And so we're talking about this now. And, you know, an interesting concept came up in our news meeting this morning as we were discussing uh, the fallout from this report. And uh, one of the participants in our news meeting says, are we trying to achieve something that's impossible? If this museum, a museum dedicated to human rights, can't get it right, are we setting the bar too high? Not that we shouldn't strive for that, but maybe we never will get there, Norma. What do you think of that? Well, I think we better try to get there. Sure. Uh, That's, you know, that's the very first thing that I think. I did enjoy that museum last time I was in Winnipeg, and I spent a full day there. I really enjoyed all of it. I thought it was just such an incredibly beautiful museum. And um, we have to recognize, too, that uh, systemic racism becomes very much normalized. It doesn't mean it's right. It means that we grow up in a world where there are so many racist uh, images and words that that become normal. And, um, for example, the name of the, the former name, I'm happy to say, yep. of the uh, Edmonton team. Mm-hmm. So... So, you know, people don't, um, and what people don't want to do is they never want to examine their own racism. How am I racist? Mm. Or how how does media influence me? And um, that's what we really have to, you know, that's what we really have to work at, especially with younger generations of people right now. And it's... um, Anti-racism is something that I teach at the University of Alberta. I devote about six hours out of a 36-hour time span in my course. And we really have to think about what, uh, what privilege is, what power is, and how does it work in the world. It's unfortunate yeah. what has happened at a museum that is incredibly beautiful. And a museum, you know, that type of museum is needed in every country. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear about what was happening internally. But we all have to stop and think about it, you know. And yeah. I think we should really work at getting getting to a place of fairness, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what we yeah, need. I, this is another example, you know, uh, Norma, this is another example of something that is shocking. And, and I said yesterday to one of the board members of the museum, mm-hmm. I said, you know, as a Winnipegger and as a Manitoban, I, I was proud to have that here. And it really, oh, it yeah. hurts now to know that that was happening there, right? And mm-hmm. um, but But maybe now this shines an even bigger spotlight on something we need to deal with as a society. 
Very much. I mean, in Canada, we don't recognize our own racism and we're presented to globally as a very fair country. And one of the, you know, what always in the top 10 to live in. And uh, but what we have silenced here is Indigenous history. We don't have it taught in classrooms. And so we have this grand narrative that is very one-sided. And, you know, when I teach about residential school, I generally have at least one student, and these students are between the ages of 20 and 35, who has yet not heard about residential school. Mm -hmm. So we can see how, you know, if we are not including anti-racism in curriculum, if we're not bringing all ethnicities into a curriculum at in elementary school, for example. If we are not doing that, then how do we expect young people to know how to operate in the world? And, and you know, so to me, when we see part of that followed at the museum, it, it reflects back on what kind of society is Canada really? Mm-hmm. And we all have to work at it, you know. Right. And, you know, it's interesting what you taught when you talk there about, you know, um, Canadian history, Indigenous history being a part of of schooling, of a school curriculum. You know, when I was uh, going to school, I probably, and I'm in my mid-50s, I probably learned more U.S., more American history than I did Canadian (laughs) history. And I was always told by my teacher, well, we've got kind of a boring history, but my God, we don't have a boring history. And there's so much that we aren't talking about that did happen. That's right. And uh, so it becomes, you know, the role of government, the role of educators, to bring that kind of information into a room and to bring it in respectfully. And, and you know, because for me, I find, um, especially people over the age of 50, they are the people who, you know, you're always wrong, Norma. <laughs> you know, this stuff yeah. never really did happen. And, um, right. You know, it's a a very... I hear that every day, Norma. I get text messages and emails and phone calls every day like that. So that's why I'm sort of chuckling along with you. But it's a, you know, it's a group of uh, people that are not very open to change. And, you know, they like the routine of life and they don't want anything to be different. And when, when I can fight for seven years in this town of Edmonton to have the team name changed... The, the majority of the people who send me dirty messages on Facebook and who, yep. you know, it's just the most outrageous things happen. Mm-hmm. They're generally people who are in that age group, like the 45 and older. They don't, yeah. you know, so, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't change if they don't want to change. So there's that resistance. And, yeah. You know what we have to really do is um, educate our young, educate our young people, and get their thinking shaped differently. You know, and to mm-hmm. because if what I often think is when I'm teaching racism is that the people that I'm teaching that to that age group of twenty to thirty-five, they're very unaware of what racism is. And then how it 
presents itself in our society. And it's simple things, you know, very, very simple things like we do not see the word Indigenous capitalized in media, but we will see Canadian capitalized. Yeah. So it's these subtleties mm. that um, that influence us. And, and unless we're forced to think about it, we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the uh, you talk about the Edmonton football team name. Uh, the first mm-hmm. time I heard that it offended some people, I just stopped using it. And my my uh, argument was, or the comment that I made at the time was, well, listen, if this is offensive to some people, it doesn't have to be offensive right. to everybody. But if it's offensive to mm-hmm. people, then I'm going to stop using it. And many people mm-hmm. would say to me when when it would be discussed on on this show, many people would say, well, what's the big deal? How I I don't get it. And I I would say, well, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to get it, right? You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> it's it's not about you. Well, what I always found, and what I talked about more this time was. You know, we we know every dirty, awful slang word about different ethnicities, and we grow up hearing that, and we see it in movies. Yep. You know, we read it in books. But it's as though that word, that word Eskimo, was not considered slang or racist. And it's as though people couldn't make that correlation, as though um, an Indigenous ethnicity was didn't count, was not a part of racism, and therefore, but they couldn't they couldn't make those correlations between, you know, how people speak of uh, people of color, and the word Eskimo. Mm-hmm. They couldn't make those same kind of correlations, and I found that quite amazing, <laughs> you know, that people can mm-hmm. think in that light. Yeah. yeah. Hey Norma, I really enjoyed the conversation. We'll have you back oh, again. Thank okay. You. Please do, Thanks and enjoy your very hot weather over there. <laughs> yes, yeah, 30 degrees this afternoon, but know, 35 boy. when you factor in the humidity, yes, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Norma, thanks again, really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, take care. My friend Carolyn Klassen is with us from Conexus Counseling. Carolyn, good afternoon. Hey, Hal, how are you? Excellent. Thank you for doing this. As always, a uh, bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about here. I'm looking forward to our our subjects uh, that we've emailed back and forth about today. Uh, but I do want to ask you about a late development. We carried the provincial COVID-19 news conference, a special news conference today at 1 o'clock. They're normally just doing those news conferences now Mondays at 1. But the province has said when warranted, there will be other news conferences and today it was warranted because we have 30 today, count them, 30 new cases today alone of COVID-19. Um, and that's got a lot of people concerned. Uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are concerned about it. And it's got everybody talking. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of uh, questions that I had, uh, you know, when we're talking about between the years here. And that's what we do with you and also uh, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen on Fridays between 2.30 and 3. You know, we got really close. I think we were one case away from being completely clear of COVID-19 in the province. Not in reality because there were cases out there, but, you know, cases that we were aware of. We got within one case of zero. No new cases and no active cases. And now here we are, uh, 30 cases today uh, and uh, up over 100 active cases And that, for me, anyhow, I'll just speak for me, for me, that's messing with my mind a little bit on this because I felt like, yeah, you know, we're doing a great job. We kind of got it under control. 
and uh, I know we were told over and over again by Dr. Rusin and others that, you know, the virus, is, the virus isn't going anywhere. We have to learn to live with it. But uh, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of taken the wind out of my sails on the COVID-19 front. It absolutely, I think, can feel really discouraging when our numbers were for, were low for so many days and even weeks in a row. Uh, and we were all sort of hoping that, I think, there's a bit of... Um, optimism and hopefulness that I think sometimes even like teenagers feel of, oh, it can't happen to me because this only happens to other people. This only happens to other provinces or other states. This isn't how Manitoba does it. Um, And Dr. Rusin said, yes, this is part of how we need to roll too. And we wanted to think we were different. And now we have this very real reality of we are just as vulnerable to the virus and we have to be just as vigilant. um, And you know, the the challenges that we're in the center of this country and we need our goods driven in like everybody else. And we have to figure out how to live with the reality that we live in this world with this pandemic. And we're not going to, going to in the foreseeable future, eradicate it. We have to develop a re, an uncomfortable relationship with it where we do what we can to keep our numbers low, knowing that as good as we can do, it's still going to be present amongst us. And that's that's a painful reality. This is Really, this is still the largest, you know, thing that's happened in our history in my lifetime, right? Uh, right? I was born well after World War II, as were you. And so we're wrapping our head around what a global years-long circumstance looks like. Um, and the reality is setting in that this is here to stay, and we've got to figure out an uncomfortable relationship with it. Yeah. You wrote a piece, and I encourage people to check out ConnexusCounseling.ca, Connexus Counseling, and Carolyn also have a great Facebook page. But you wrote a piece about wearing a mask, a face mask. And this has been very controversial. Some people say, hell yeah. Other people say, hell no. Uh, a lot of people feel the idea of making masks mandatory is just reprehensible. Uh, but you've written an interesting take on the mask. Yes, I wrote yesterday, and the topic was, you can't make me wear a mask, you can't force me to wear a mask. And the reason why you can't make me wear a mask is because I have already chosen to wear a mask. And how I am framing it in my head is that I said, my mama raised me right, right? I hold open doors for a friend that I'm with or for somebody that's elderly that's just behind me. I work to be cooperative with a person to make the right change when I can. I used to shake hands with people when I meet as a, you know, as part of civility and greeting people. I don't shake them anymore. Um, I apologize that I can't. I hand a Kleenex to a person when someone dies, when someone cries, I'm sorry. I, when they drop their keys, I offer to pick them up. Like it's just a part of the social contract we have that we are kind to each other and that we extend social graces to total strangers Um, knowing that if we all extend social graces to each other in this world, the world is a safer, kinder place. Um, And so I am going to wear a mask. I'm still getting used to it. I can't say I like it. I, when I put my sunglasses on, they fog up, like it's hot outside. It makes it even like it's, it's a process to get used to it, but I am going to wear a mask as part of the social contract of civility that we all engage in to make this world cooperative, collaborative, and I want to be a part of making this world better. And I feel like if I as one person can wear a mask and each other person makes a decision, as, as many people as possible make that decision, then the, the tide starts to turn and it, people start to see, well, I might not like it, but I guess I'll join in like everybody else. We're just going to do it. 
And if I can encourage that person who doesn't think that they have it to wear a mask even though they don't want to, if they wear a mask and unbeknownst they are, might be infected, the life that they could be saving might be, you know, my mama who taught me those manners. Yep. And so I want to right. do what I can to um, make this world a safer, kinder place by what I can do and by how my behavior can join with others to influence us all to do what it takes to help us get through this. I, I tell my 17-year-old who doesn't like, who thinks the idea of wearing masks is a little bit goofy and silly, this will help schools to stay open. And why wouldn't we want to work towards that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good read at connectuscounseling.ca as all the stuff that Carolyn writes is is a good read, but uh, you might want to check that out and there's more to it, but but that's essentially what, what Carolyn wrote there, uh, what she just described. I'm curious, Carolyn, were you wearing a mask before or is this a late development for you? And I'll, I'll tell you why I asked that, because a lot of people believe that, um, you know, we should all be wearing a mask. I sort of set that up already Uh, But I was wearing a mask early on, and then when the numbers started getting low, I didn't always wear a mask, right? If it was a quick run-in somewhere to get something and there weren't a bunch of people, I was, ah, you know. But now I'm, I'm wearing a mask again pretty much all the time, and I do get some funny looks. But that's sort of human nature, right? If we start to, the numbers go low and we're going, hey, we're doing a great job, and then we sort of, we get a little lazy about it, right? I think so, and I, th- I think a lot of people who aren't wearing masks aren't doing it because they disagree with it or because they don't want to. It's because they haven't had a chance to go out and get one or they still don't feel comfortable with it or, it, you know, it just it's not top of mind, um, mm-hmm. and we could get away with it when the numbers were low, and I think we're realizing that as we are developing a relationship, an uncomfortable relationship with COVID, part of what we need to do to keep our numbers down is to do things that are uncomfortable and unfamiliar. Uh, and and we all have to do that. And so, yeah, I, I got a mask when we first started opening up and I got my hair done. I had to wear a mask in the hair salon and then I wasn't wearing them as much. And now I've decided I've got um, quite a compact one that's in my purse, a Jets one, and I am trying to put it on whenever I am in a closed public space um, as a matter of practice because it doesn't come naturally to wear a mask and it needs to become habit. Um, I understand it may be a habit for a couple of years and so uh, good habits take time to develop and take consistency and so I'm working to be more consistent so that I can put it on, I won't forget. So um, back to school. I was curious to know if um, moms and dads out there if the list is maybe a bit different this year, what's on the list? What's on that back-to-school shopping list this year that maybe hasn't been there in the past because of COVID-19? Uh, have your shopping habits changed at all? 204-780-6868, hal at cgob.com. And joining us now, Kathy Babb, manager of Scholar's Choice Retail Store. Uh, Kathy, good afternoon. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Hi, there you are. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. So I was reading one story uh, saying that usually back-to-school shopping uh, begins in mid-July and then peaks in mid-August. But some retailers are saying that uh, the peak is going to hit later in August and continue into September because of the uncertainty around back-to-school. Are you seeing that? Absolutely, yeah. We usually see a lot, a fair number of out-of-town teachers in July, but what I'm hearing in the store is that teachers are just anxious to get back and really um, hear and see what the 
school year is going to look like before they make some decisions. And I think parents are feeling the same way as well. So, Yeah. So parents and teachers alike are sort of holding off, waiting to see exactly what the scenario is when kids get back at class. Yep, I think so. They want to see the day-to-day workings and what it's going to look like and what the program is going to look like for delivery for teachers and what it's going to look like for parents in terms of their life schedule, for sure. Yeah. And I'm also seeing numbers uh, in other jurisdictions where they're spending less, and I guess that sort of connects to what we've just said, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Manitoba teachers, um, uh, they, I think most teachers as a whole spend a lot of their own personal money. We know that for sure. But uh, Manitoba divisions continue to be very supportive of the programs that they run and they offer. So, um, you know, we probably haven't felt the pinch as much as some other provinces have, say, um, Ontario, where teachers are not, you know, particularly happy or haven't have had a tough year that way. Uh, Manitoba teachers are still pretty confident about what the year is going to look like, I think, that they're going to have students in their classrooms to some degree. So, yeah. Yeah, and this isn't your area of expertise, but I was also seeing that uh, parents, moms and dads are spending less money on dressy uh, clothing, more on basics, you know, (laughs) to kind of go along with the pandemic. So I just thought that was sort of interesting. I throw that out there as well. What's on the back-to-school shopping list this year because of COVID-19 that maybe wasn't there last year or in past years? Well, it's pretty interesting because it's personal protective equipment. So we sell all kinds of masks face masks. We sell clear face shields for teachers because when you think about it, wearing a mask can be a little imposing sometimes. And for young students who are watching um, lip movements and things to recognize letter and sound formations for kids who are doing drama who have to recognize facial features and even um, kids who are on the autistic spectrum um, have to recognize that in terms of emotions and things. So you take away that part of the face, and um, it can become a little, um, uh, you know, just a little anxious for some kids. So some teachers opt opt to wear clear shields so it doesn't take that piece away. Uh, We have some that are actually a face mask that has a clear piece around the mouth so they can continue to see the mouth. Um, The other thing we're seeing in classrooms are washing stations. Um, There are actually tech tubs that uh, emit a UV light that teachers can drop Chromebooks or laptops into, whatever the case may be, close it up at the end of the day, and it sanitizes them for continued use and sharing. So um, keeping the classroom safe and the product in the classroom um, clean and sanitized, I think, is probably top of the list. Wow. Different times, eh? Oh, man, is it different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Teachers, again, I think, are coming in and really wanting to take the time and refresh the room and make it a really welcoming place this year. So, um, you know, lots of new, referred to as decoratives, but classroom decoratives are out. So um, the children walk in are feeling very comfortable in their, mm-hmm. in their you mentioned situation. That, uh, yeah, you mentioned that a lot of uh, teachers, I would argue probably all teachers, spend a lot of their own money yeah. on, on stuff like that. Give me a ballpark. If it, uh, what do you think a, a te- an average teacher might spend out of their own pocket? Because I know this, it, you know, even back when I went to school, back when the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth, uh, you know, the teachers spent a lot of their own money to make that in-classroom experience for the kids special. You know, I, I had a situation the other day in the, in the store where I said to a, a teacher, do you want a second copy of the receipt? Are you being reimbursed for this? And she said, no, this is out of my pocket. Well, the next customer stepped up and said, I overheard that. Did I get that right? She was paying for that herself. And I said, yeah. And she said, 
okay, I'm starting to buy my teacher's gift cards because that's just crazy. But I hear anything from, you know, teachers who spend three to 300 to $1,500 of their own money setting up classrooms. So, Wow. Yeah, yeah that, you, that's significant, right? Especially oh, when it's it's not expected, it's not necessary, but they do it for the good of their students. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, every teacher I deal with every day is, uh, first and foremost, on their mind is their students and what mm-hmm. the um, what the fall is going to look like for them. So, yeah. I don't want to get you in the middle of a controversy here, Kathy, but there's <laughs> been a lot of debate about, but I'm going to, there's been a lot of debate about masks, right, about face masks and whether they should be mandatory, what kids, will kids wear them, should kids wear them. What are you seeing at the retail level? Are you seeing a demand for masks? Do you get the sense that most kids are going to be wearing a mask when classes get going? I think a lot of parents are going to, um, um, yeah, support that. We sell an awful lot of children's masks, and I always say to people, it's like anything for your kids. Don't buy one of it because you'll, you'll never be able to keep track of one of it. Uh, buy three of it because you want to be able to always have your hands on one and be able to wash it. And they're coming out with some new funky designs, so they're big. I think they're going to be the next fashion statement too. You know, it used to be runners. Now it will be face masks. Isn't that a change, eh? Yeah, yeah, so I and, think, and I, I think, think you're absolutely right. We're, we're already seeing that, you know, people making fashion statements with their mask or social statements or, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I saw an interesting tip yesterday on Facebook from a teacher, actually, who was suggesting that parents start getting their kids wearing masks now for brief periods of time and have some fun with it and just get them comfortable and take that um, little anxious piece away from it. So if and when we do get to that point, there, it's an easy transition. That's a good idea. Yeah, oh, I hadn't I heard that, but that idea. is a, a really good idea. Yeah. Hey, Kathy, thanks a lot for this, and uh, all the best here for uh, a busy... I, I think I read somewhere that uh, for people like you, this is your second busiest time of the year. Com- uh, only the holidays is busier than than now for you, so it's kind of like your Christmas, sort of. It is my Christmas. This is a wild and crazy time for um, teachers and for parents alike who are trying to get their kids ready for back to school, so for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Kathy, up, thanks a lot for this. Oh, you're yeah, very appreciate it. All the best. Yeah, all the best, Sal. Thanks. Joining us on the phone now, my friend Jason Cross. You hear us on the radio all the time. Jason is the vice president over at Goche Cadillac Buick GMC at the north end of McPhillips. Jason, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Thanks for coming on today. I wanted to get you on for a couple of minutes and ask you about the car biz. Um, I'm hearing anecdotally from some car guys that I know around town that dealerships are in some cases seeing record sales as Winnipeg and Manitoba, uh, at least uh, economically and, and as far as consumer confidence is concerned, uh, are coming out of the pandemic, although we did get some, some high numbers today. Uh, is that true? Is, is consumer confidence pretty strong right now, especially when it comes to the purchase of vehicles? Well, I think there's a combination of factors. The business has been um, rather robust the, the last several weeks or the last few weeks, but I think there is a pent-up demand. I think Manitobans were smart. I think we all took the uh, message from um, our political leaders that we've got to be safe during this, and, and uh, we kind of um, we stayed home. We followed the rules, and I think there was a bit of a pent-up demand in the market. So, yes, we've seen uh, business uh, uh, increase in the last little while as uh, Manitobans are taking advantage of, of all manufacturers, have some pretty incredible uh, incentives on the new vehicles. 
Yeah, that's part of it, right? The incentives are real good right now. Uh, borrowing money is cheap, but usually it is. Anyhow, when, when you're buying a vehicle, talk about why now is the right time to buy. Well, we came off of um, the manufacturers. I mean, it works well for the consumer when they all start to fight for their market share. We've had a lot of aggressive um, incentives in the market. General Motors has had the best incentives that I've seen in a long time. I and mean, we had uh, employee pricing on top of 0% for up to 84 months. Plus, because of the COVID, they offered the consumers a, a payment deferral. So you didn't even have to make payments for, for six months. So it was a great time to buy a car, and it still is. One of the issues that a lot of consumers will see now is, and this is a nationwide program right across the country, um, our inventories have been depleted because of the supply chain. That's when, you know, the car companies had to shut down in the States, some of the factories, so the dealer's inventory starts to decrease. And the, the silver lining in that is the, the large metro stores, in most cases, we have a lot of vehicles in transit. They're coming into us. So the consumers that are coming in today the smart ones that still know that there's incentives and there's great deals to be made out there, come in, talk to us, uh, make sure you know we get uh, we know exactly what you're looking for, and then we can uh, identify the vehicles that we have in shipping. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great time if you're in the market for a new vehicle to uh, to be investigating. Right, and I mean all through this, you your dealership, uh, you're an essential service, so you've been open through all of this, and and you've been open safely, and you know all the precautions have been taken there at the dealership. I know you guys are proud of that uh, over there, and and the way you handled the pandemic. Uh, when you hear about 30 cases today and 18 on Saturday, and the numbers are starting to rise. You're a business guy. That has to cause some concern, right? Because, uh, I mean, I I see the number 30 today, and I know it worries people, but I can just imagine the restaurant owners out there, the people that are still struggling to do business, they see a number like that and they go, oh, we, we don't need, uh, you know, to go back to that again. Well, it, it, exactly. I mean, it, it is concerning. However, I think Manitobans, as, as our premier said early on in all this, you know, we took the messages from our leaders to heart. And I think the the most thing, the biggest thing that we should be proud of is we have to watch these numbers. I mean, we all watch the news. We see what's going on in other parts of the world. This isn't going to go right. away overnight. We have to stay mm-hmm. safe. The businesses are, are, are definitely up to speed. General Motors has very strict programs for us that we want to follow and rules and, and all the tools that are out there now to help us, you know, keep our employees safe, our frontline workers safe. I mean, our people that are in the service department that are dealing with our customers. I mean, people need their cars to get around. So car dealers right. are considered essential. But, yeah, we have to watch these numbers and we have to make sure we we protect all of us. I mean, we're in this together. And uh, it's not something, as you and I know, that's going to go away anytime soon. This is going to be a part of our life for a while. And, and businesses can function um, but we have to do so safe, and we have to listen to our our uh, our health officials and make sure we follow all the guidelines. And my heart goes out to the restaurateurs. I always say we gotta yeah. we gotta support them in every way we can right now. These guys uh, are having a tough time. Yeah, it, restaurants for sure, but all business right now. I think if you can, you know, buy local and figure out a way to support local companies, I I think that's uh, that's vital right now. We we just gotta keep that in in front of mind. Uh, not in in back of mine. I'm just curious, you know, I talk to a lot of different people on this show, right, and and uh, whatever the business is or the line of work or the industry, and it seems like the pandemic has changed uh, all of them in one way or another, some more minor than others. 
Any change in buying habits when people come in to buy a vehicle or a car? Are you seeing any trends now since COVID-19? Anything interesting like that, or is it sort of business as usual? Well, I think the the auto industry has always been kind of moving towards a more of a digital strategy. I mean, a car a car transaction is somewhat complicated. There's trade-ins, there's financing. There it, there is a level that has to be done face to face. But one thing that I've seen in the last several weeks is the increase in our ability to do business digitally. I mean, there's no secret that all of us want to be safe and we want to do as much as we can from our smartphone or our tablet or our desktop. So we're having a lot more conversations digitally. You know, people are at home in the evenings. You know, sales consultants are are sending videos, FaceTiming. I mean, we're using the technology. I mean, the people that are home office-based certainly have, have realized that. And, and that's one thing our industry, I think, has done, uh, uh, has been forced to go through um, a bit of a digital revolution a lot quicker than we were even doing it before. And, and we were good at it before, but now um, everyone's learning, like, hey, you know, it's we've, we've sold $100,000 Escalades digitally. Like, you see the person only to pick it up or dropping it off in their driveway. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Hey, I, I appreciate your help here today, Jason. I can't have you on the radio, though, without hearing about the incentive right now. What, what's uh, the opportunity right now for people if they're listening and they're looking for a vehicle? Why should they be going to the north end of McPhillips? Well, as you know, how Manitobans love a deal, and uh, we, we take a great deal of pride in the Gochi Automotive Group to make sure we put our best foot forward all the time. We've got the bonus tag event. We've got massive discounts. At this time of the year, the car companies are starting to clear inventory. So General Motors has stepped up in a big way this month. We've got discounts up to $16,000 plus available 0% financing. The one car line that is actually very surprising to me has been Cadillac. I mean, 0% financing on all of our Cadillacs, I mean, that's something that General Motors hasn't done before, and we're excited. We've yeah. got, still got a great selection of them, and, yeah, it's a great time. Manitobans are taking advantage of it. And, hey, you and I both know Manitobans love a deal. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.